July 10th, 2020. Passion, Shoe Leather, and the Internet. Subtitled, Shake the Dust of That Town from Your Feet. John Sanders Parables for Entrepreneurs podcast. And visit johnsanders.com for more episodes and articles. So in reviewing for this week's uh, discussion... I've yeah. determined that not only am I good for 20 years with my teeth and my eyes, but I got materials <laughs> for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. We can talk for 20 years. I know. I mean, and we're titling this one what? Passion, Shoe, Leather, and the Internet, Passion, right? Shoe, Leather, and the Internet. So how did you come up with that? There's like four articles you sent me off your website, johnsanders.com, and you just smooshed them together? Is that what we're doing? Well, you know, my passion, if I have a passion for companies— it's selling. If you right. don't, if you don't make a sale, nothing happens. Yep. All right. So that's a that's an old cliche, but it's true. It's so the true. biggest failing in small companies is they don't sell. They think the mm -hmm. world's going to come to their door, and they get mm -hmm. a few good sales, and they think those people will pass the leads on, and off you go. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Right. There's still nothing. And I've got this one article I talk about. Uh, that I'm going to lead with about passion and the shoe leather, that one that article. And mm -hmm. the Internet was brand new. This is 25 years ago. I wrote that article. Right. Now, these are articles on my website, of course, johnsanders.com. Yes, and and we did, if I may interrupt you, we did decide that you're at least 25 years ahead of your time when you wrote these things. I, I, I got news for you. I reread them, and I was impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read and, them this morning. and the one we did the other day on technology did we do technology and education we did that one didn't we yeah a couple weeks ago yeah, yeah. and uh about using the internet and about electronics and having kids engaged i mean it's it's still the problem the kids aren't engaged they're not learning and the right. online stuff they put out now in these schools is garbage it yeah, is I know. it is the teachers talking and that didn't work 25 years ago, and it doesn't work today, you know? Right. So, well, let me interrupt you and say, what do you think needs to happen? What needs to change there in terms of online education? It needs to be more dynamic and gamified, maybe, and let's have some fun learning. I still go back to my little conundrum about give me the most underprivileged, impoverished kids from the inner city and a roll of quarters back in the old days and take him to yep. a game arcade. And before we got through the roller quarters, he could take the most complicated game, tear it apart, know how to win, know how to deal with the people, I mean, with the, the, the competitors, know how to hit the balls and all this sort of stuff, and run circles around the most highly educated college professor in the country. It's that kind of translation. And yep. because if we can keep these kids engaged, they'll learn. They'll learn yep. the thing. And yep. you gotta you got to learn something besides painting messages on the streets so yes. uh whatever the messages are yeah. so anyway don't get me off on education that's not my okay, other let's, passion let's stay on track i'm in sorry business it's selling sell yes. sell 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 if you oversell we can always produce production mm. is never a problem in the united states of america just like getting these uh these uh, masks and the ventilators and everything you turn these machines on in this country produce anything in no time so we have a we have a production machine unrivaled in the world and the same yep. thing for all of us software people we can turn the cranks too if, if there's a need we'll do it so uh that's why i come up with selling and in virtually every article i write 
has selling involved in it because it is the big bugaboo in small companies. Mm. And if you sell better, you can raise your prices. Oh, yeah. And if you raise your prices, guess what? You make money. Yes. But there, in one of my articles, in fact, and we'll talk about it today if we get to it. If not, we'll, we've got another week. Uh, is that things like automobiles, the prices don't come down because they're made with big, bulky steel, aluminum, that sort of stuff. A lot of heavy materials. And those things just don't allow you to reduce prices because it just they're just there. It's That's the size and the bulk. But things like software, I was saying none of us buy version 1.0 and expect that to be the end. There's a version 1.1, a version 2, and we expect to pay less for it next year than we did this year. It's a natural phenomena. And so the world in those worlds revolve around selling more and making less per unit, but selling more units. Mm. So it's a different it's a different situation. I bought my first car after I graduated from uh, graduate school, and I got my job in the government, now making big money. I moved from $149 a month to $1,250 a month. My it's amazing gosh. how, oh, that's big money in 63. No kidding. Yeah. I was a GS-14. I moved into that job, so that's pretty good. And when I retired five years later, I was a GS-15. But I didn't want to be a GS-16. I wanted mm. out. And That's um, another podcast I'd like to hear about. But you bought a car. <laughs> I will do it. In fact, that's an interesting subject about how I left the agency. But uh, So I bought my uh, uh, Dodge Coronet 500 convertible. And <laughs> it was loaded. It had electric windows. Mm. It had power steering. It had a power top. Now, what uh, year was this? 63, 64. Oh, my I gosh. Yeah. Well, that was cutting edge. Oh, yeah. You didn't have electric windows and uh, air conditioning and convertibles in those days. This was hot. Yeah. And four on the floor, 383 cubic inch engine. Uh, I was hot. And and gas was 49 cents a gallon. I don't remember, but I I drove it the was, car for 18. Wow. I drove the car for 18 years. Yeah. And, uh, Fantastic. And, and uh, so... Paid twenty six hundred dollars for it, and today, and yeah. when I moved to Carlsbad five years ago, I bought, I sold my old Beetle convertible back in uh, Myrtle Beach. It says I'm not going to cart that thing across country because the top didn't work that good. And I found out when I took it in for the second time to get the top fixed. He says, you know, it was an 03 convertible. He said in 04 they changed the whole mechanism, much more simple. <laughs> I said I should have <laughs> should have bought an 04. I would have brought the 04 across. So anyway, I sold it. I sold my boat, sold my, my Ford uh, uh, Escape, came here yeah. and put the three monies together and bought a VW new VW convertible. And it's a sweet ride. I've seen it. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Yeah. So I had it the other day when I was at Lane's. I had that. Uh, I um, had the top down. God, it's fun. Yeah. There's not that many convertibles around here. I'm surprised. I haven't seen any. No, they're around, but they're, there's just not that many. Mm-hmm. So let's discuss passion and shoe leather, shoe leather, and the internet. Yes. Yeah, so how do they relate? Let's go. Let's they relate one on one. So my my uh, introductory statement. I'm looking at my article from 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Said uh, that the internet was going to be. I wrote it a couple of years. I said a couple of years ago. I wrote the internet is going to be a driving force for the revolution in sales and marketing. 
And I, I said, the, the, the more convinced at that time that the best purpose for the Internet, of course, now we take orders like crazy on the Internet. That was not expected so much. But was a dissemination of information so that selling became much more efficient. If you can get all that stuff out there, and so a person can read it and understand it, and especially deliver it to him instantly while you're talking mm-hmm. about it, it makes the sale much more dynamic. And, of course, we didn't anticipate this kind of, uh, I guess we anticipated this kind of conversation where you're talking with someone one-on-one. And uh, I brought up the point, I said, that you've got to be there early when you're selling. So the uh, I, I visited at the time a, a bunch of technology companies. There's a sales, there's a, at that time, and still is, the great need for software developers, programmers. That's, it's still a need is still there, especially good ones. Let's face it, good anything yep. is always needed. Yep. So the, the then question comes, well, if you're doing all, spending all that time, so what are you doing on selling and the Internet? So I said there's got to be a greater need for motivated people who can utilize insights and hard work to develop new markets that the infusion of new products is seeking. So see, in, in any business, the money is made. Your general business generally covers the overhead. You don't make money on a general business. You make money because you find niches that have high profit margins and you get there early. And the interesting thing about niches, they never stay open very long. If you open mm-hmm. a gas station on one corner and you're making money like crazy... Guess what happens? There are three other gas stations right there, very quickly. Yep. We close niches in this country very quickly. So you look for high-profit niches. So your profit comes from various things you do that have high-profit margins that are unique to what you're doing. You cover your overhead with your standard business that gets you out there and allows you to sell. So any company needs to be always looking What's the next thing? What am I doing in general? And where do I see a opening to really get in there and do something unique and make money? In your case, speaking engagements or this kind of stuff, you're like Elaine Swan. You're very good at it. And uh, oh, thank you. Uh, so now you just got to figure out who will pay you for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how much? Yeah. So uh, my position is is that marketeers are always needed. So with today, you know, the first the early people, I'll tell you, I saw my first fax machine. I can remember, 1965, at Magnavox Research Labs up here in Torrance, California. Oh, I do. We did a lot of business with Magnavox. I love those guys. Plus, we had good fun. In those days, they could take us out to dinner, take us to the girly clubs, do all that kind of stuff. That was not illegal at the time. So, of course, they spend too much money, then, then it crosses the line. But if it's just out having fun. Uh, we didn't consider that uh, violation at all. And plus, you want to do business that you know pe- with people you know. Mm-hmm. Why do you want to do people that do business with people you don't know or trust or have friendship with? Mm-hmm. That's dumb. Right? Yeah. But the fax machine, I said, my God, what a difference this is going to make. Because right now, if we had a contract or something, we had to fly it back and forth across country to the agency headquarters. I mean, it was an overnight trip to get something the next day. And then the fact, I looked at the fact machine, my God, you can transmit a document instantly. What a revolution. And it was. So early adopters of fax machines were way ahead of the curve. 
when I had our newspaper, we had these monthly uh, 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 sessions, uh, mm-hmm. breakfast breakfast meetings, breakfast briefings, and I had a bunch of companies that would come in and brief. Then they were on the side of the of the auditorium with their pop up displays, and our government contractors came in by the carload. I'd have two hundred people at breakfast. About mm-hmm. half of them paid, and half of them I I uh, comped because I had to fill. I had to have two hundred in the audience if I was going to charge these guys to be up there. And uh, so I had to assure we had them. So I set up with remember the Mac SE, the little unit. Yes. So we had about five or six of them in the newspaper, and they were we were phasing them out with new machines. So I took those things, and I set them up with the early fax automatic software where you could send out faxes one at a time and you load it in the so I was making a big thing of collecting fax numbers and so I set those things out and I would send them out of course it took two minutes of fax because you had one two pages one the cover page and one the, the actual thing so it took two minutes plus a little bit so you could get out 25 or 30 an hour and if I was sending three or four hundred I mean that was ten hours or it was three or four hours with five machines. I, had, I ran out of fax numbers. So one night I decided, this is ridiculous. I'm paying nine cents a call at the business. Those were days when you paid per call. I'm going to take one of these things home and use my home phone where there's no charge. So I set it up, and I guess I started faxing about 10 o'clock at night. About 1 o'clock I get a call on my home phone. Why are you sending me a fax in the middle of the night? You're interrupting my sleep. I said, how'd you get this number? <laughs> he said, caller ID. First caller ID guy. <laughs> you know, oh, when you're dealing really? with engineers, they're all first adopters. I said, all right. So I quit that one. I shut it off that night, and that was the last time I did stuff from home. But see, the, the, the technology is always moving forward. So then who was the first people to use FedEx overnight? You really needed to get there? So the early adopters of FedEx were ahead. It didn't take long for that to Here's UPS. Here's other services. And so you can use internet. Who was the first to use the internet? Uh, Certainly I was. Our newspaper. We were way ahead. We were dealing with AOL, a local company. So we had all kinds of stuff. In fact, my email address, an AOL email address, which I don't use very much, goes back to 1992 or 3. And And you still have it, don't you? Yeah, I still have it. I don't use it all that much, but I still have it. I still pay them for my... uh, my web, web, not web servers, but for my, uh, they have different things. They give with McAfee software and other stuff like that. Oh, sure, sure. If you pay for the service. So, plus I have a fond memory. I made a lot of money off of AOL. And uh, uh, so, uh, I forgot my point. It was a good one. But, uh, oh, I'm one day I call in, I had a problem with my AOL software. So, I called the number to get to the young lady at the other end of the line, service representative. And so she said, so what's your, um, uh, gave me my number and everything like that. And she says, I don't believe this. I've never seen this date. You've been a member since 1992? I didn't even know we went back that far. I said, well, actually, you didn't. It was a previous company, Quantum Computer Services, that changed its name to AOL. So, but I was using email early. And uh, so early adopters like FedEx, all these sorts of things, it's a window that is closes very quickly as a competitive mm. advantage because very quickly mm-hmm. all your other competitors, so it's now mm-hmm. built into the system. It's no longer an advantage. It's only a disadvantage if you don't have it. So you're always looking for new ways to market. But interestingly enough, in my position, in my opinion, and you, you and I were talking about it earlier, 
mm-hmm. you need to spend more time on selling. Yep. Nothing beats the human contact. Nothing beats the human contact. And I love it. I absolutely and love it. And all these technologies only make the human contact more efficient because you don't mm-hmm. have to piss around with sending out materials by mail or doing this sort of stuff. It's all, And if, if you've got a good website, it's all on the website. Yes. And so you just send them the website. Just like I send people to my website for pull down the podcast or pull down the, the articles or pull down my bio or whatever. So a website is now built in. You don't have a website, you're dead meat. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I wanted to bring up something else that was interesting. I want to go back not to my articles of 25 years ago. Okay. I want to go back to somebody 2,000 years ago. So Jesus... What? Comes up ah. with this new, uh, you know me, I quote Jesus a lot because he's a good quote and gives me some credibility. Jesus well, the name of this podcast is Parables for Entrepreneurs, yeah. so hey. Jesus and Moses, and I've got all those guys. I, I figure they're pretty good uh, They're pretty good references. But Jesus had his, came, you know, was doing his new gospel and his, and his method of uh, living. And he had his disciples. And he said, we're, sit, we're stuck here in this day. Damn Judea, and it says they're all farmers and they're all uh, uh, local blokes, and they're all the old Jews that don't want to change. He says we got to get out in the world and get some new customers. So here's here's directly out of uh, Luke, chapter nine, verses one to six. Jesus called the twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Then he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, after saying to them, Take nothing with you for the trip. No walking sick, no beggar's bag, no food, no money, not even an extra shirt. Wherever you are welcomed, stay in the same house until you leave that town. Wherever people don't welcome you, leave that town. And guess what? Shake the dust of that town from your feet. That's Shake that the dust of that town from your feet. As a warning to them. All right? He basically said, you're not the loser because you didn't make the sale. They're the losers because they didn't buy from you. Mm-hmm. And that's the attitude. If it's something you're selling, you believe the customer ought to have, you need to exude that attitude. Friend, if you don't mm-hmm. buy this, you're not hurting me. I've got, I got, I got lots more places to go, lots more towns. You're the loser. Yep. So it says the life, the, the disciples then left, traveled through all the villages, preaching the good news, and healing people everywhere. What a great story. Yeah, right? no kidding. Get out there and make the sale. And you know what? Right at my, my last year in high school, I sold Bibles door to door. And first year in college, I sold typewriters door to door. Remember the, boy, what a, what a revolution a typewriter was. And I loved it. But people answered their doors in those days. Nobody answers the door today. They're not home anyway. And if they are, they don't answer yeah. the door. Right. And they sure don't right. want to deal with a traveling salesman, however young and beautiful he is. But see, that was my, <laughs> that was, that's my point about selling. Is mm-hmm. The Internet's great, but it doesn't replace the human contact. Not at all. And I think I've told you this before in our session on, uh, on women and uh, selling. Is that... Mm-hmm. Women come across like your mother. And if they are definitive and say, this is what you should buy, and they believe it, that's where the passion comes from. You can't fake that. You really can't. The customer can see through it. 
Because first of all, customers are reticent to deal with salesmen anyway. But a, a woman with a good smile and a good handshake and a firm conviction that this is what you ought to have, saying, listen, John, you ought to have this. You need this. They'll generally buy because they think their, their mother's talking to them. Mm-hmm. But the same thing happens with any individual. That's what Jesus told his disciples. You've got the conviction. You go out and you sell them, this is what is... This is what's changed my life. This will change your life. And you do it one-on-one and you're going to sell. And if they don't buy it, get the hell out of there. Right? Right. Don't waste your time with them. It's a big world. Yes. Yes. So that's why I say shoe leather, because get your ass out on the street. Passion, you got to believe in what you're selling. And if you believe in what you're selling and believe the customer ought to have it, you can make the, anybody can make the sale. But someone who's mm-hmm. good and can speak well and comes across well, looks decent, doesn't have tattoos all over his head, uh, and let me see. No, you got a beard. That'll be all right. So, <laughs> yeah, it's been you. it's been with me since I was eighteen. So That's right. I shaved this morning for you. So, oh, thank you. I didn't shave yesterday because I played golf in the afternoon. Well, so nobody's going to know because this is not a video; it's an audio. Yeah, podcast, I know that, so. but it, I love talking to you in person. I feel like I'm. Talking I do to too. Somebody. I, do I too. love talking to somebody. You know. Yeah. That, I, that's how I wrote the book. Because uh-huh. it started with all these things I would tell customers about business and young companies, and how I came up with the parables was kind of one on one. Uh huh. So one day I'm in the office on the phone blabbing with somebody, and our cashier Irv Frank, bless his soul came over and he says, I'm so tired of hearing you hearing that. I said, Irv, I'm tired of telling it. I'm going to write it down <laughs> and make people read it. So I outlined all my different parables. Went on my back, uh, my, my new back porch, back patio. There's a deck over top of a carport. Got my hammock. Got a tape recorder. Remember those? Little tape, portable tape recorder. And I said, I'm just going to talk into the tape recorder as if I'm talking to somebody. Then I'll get somebody to transcribe it and be done with it. Well, I did that. I don't know how long it took me. So I had a company that I was invested in that did transcription, but it was court transcribers. So they had every uh and ah and everything else in there instead of making it smooth. I got it back. I started reading and said, oh, this is really pitiful. (laughs) I can't (laughs) read this stuff. I can't deal with it. And I'm sure not going to edit it. So I found a guy locally, saw a newspaper, I mean a newspaper, a magazine article about John Templeton. John Templeton had Templeton funds. He was in Bermuda, big Christian guy, big investor, and he believed in, you know, all the stuff that makes good investment. And and the, the guy that wrote the article did a fabulous job. And I said, man, this guy's good. I looked down, Jim Snyder, Snyder Associates, McLean, Virginia, five miles away. I called him up. I said, I want to come by and see you. So I went by there and I told him about the article, showed him my stuff, and I says, I want you to edit my book. So we came up with a price. Even got somebody to draw the, if you, if you go on the internet, you see those trees. He had the artist mm-hmm. to draw the trees from the orchard, mm-hmm. acorn to the big oak. And uh, so he did everything. He did it spectacular. And he even added the last chapter, which made the book. The testing never mm-hmm. ends. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of sealed the book that, all right, this, the book is still going on. You're never done testing. Test is always there. By the way, I had my uh, driver's license exam on Monday. Actually, I went there Friday. 
and the last hour and I didn't I was next to the last to get in so I didn't get in and so I went back Monday morning early got there at 715 and I was about 25 in line so it was good I get up and so you know an old man like me over 70 you have to have your eyes tested you have to have uh, a new new, uh, uh, picture and uh, supposedly a written exam so I get done and the girl the woman does all this takes my picture I check my eyes I have my new cataracts. I'm good. And uh, uh, the, uh, they still have to wear glasses when I drive. And uh, uh, so then she says, okay, here's your temporary license. It's temporary license. I said, don't I have to take a written exam? No, she said, you don't. I don't and I didn't question her why or anything else. I got out of there. <laughs> yeah. I'd been studying for it, and I figured, surely I can get 13 out of 16 questions. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, except they start giving how far do you do park from this, how, how many miles, how, how far do you have to stop if you're going this far. Those things are tricky. Yeah, they but, are, because a lot of the times they just actually don't make sense. Well, they're not necessary for driving, all right? Right, yeah, that's true, yeah. So uh, what difference does it make, what the fine is for how much alcohol you have if you don't drink? Oh, yeah, yeah. And so the, those are kind of tricky. And who cares anyway? You don't you don't think about what the penalty is when you're drinking. Yeah, that's true. Well, I think they stick it in there so that those people that do drink see what the penalty is. Yeah. Maybe they go, ah, maybe I shouldn't drink and drive. I would hope they would do that. So let me give you let me give you another. How much time we got? Oh, I've got about fifteen minutes. Oh, really? You make that long a podcast? Do people listen that long? Well, hey, some of the most popular podcasts are like two, two, three, three and a half hours. Oh, it, not me. It makes I'm, no difference. Well, let's go. All right. So it's all based on content, and since you have awesome content, you're always, you know, I mean, John, I, you know, we're doing this because I'm learning, and I, everybody else that's listening is learning. <laughs> yeah, your too. company I mean, is going to be so great because well, of all thanks. this great wisdom you're absorbing. <laughs> it's a lot of it. It's a lot of it. And I'm going to, you know, I, I get to edit this podcast. I get to hear it. I get to review it. So it gets sunk deep in. And I really appreciate it. So, you know, you were talking about editors and stuff. And we now have a, I have a perspective editor on the team. Oh, this guy's really good. He's, he's written and uh, professionally for years. He's about my age. It's really important because I don't write well. He does. So another point I wanted to make. Yep. About the shoe leather and the internet and and uh, passion. It didn't start out that way, but I say it's the title of the article is Stuff Flows. I really meant, pardon the expression, shit flows, which is what we all know. Yes. So on podcast, we can we can mention that word. But yes, everybody we knows sure that. can. So I said, by whatever term you want to use, we mean when you let things happen, the wrong stuff happens. The old statement, nothing good happens to an empty house. Same thing. Nothing good happens when you just let it happen. Mm-hmm. And that came out of Murphy's Law, which I presume you've heard about. Mm-hmm. Colonel Murphy, he, I think he was a major at one point, became a colonel, was at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And I actually did some business, business, some government, some contract work at Wright-Patterson. And I met Colonel Murphy. And all his Murphy's Law came out of early NASA stuff, shooting mm-hmm. stuff up. I don't know whether it was NASA or military, but the rockets. And he um, and he went to people when they were designing stuff, and he said, "If 
here's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with thousands of parts, all of which have to work. And they have to work with vibration and everything else. So think about it. Every part, if something can go wrong, it will. Now how do you make sure it doesn't? And you do it part by part by part, subsystems, subsystems. That's what takes so long to do those things. And uh, uh, I bring in this article, I said there are opportunities for the buyer to investigate further and find another source or spend the funds on another resource or just about any other excuse for not closing the other side of the transaction. So my experience, especially selling typewriters, my zone manager for Kentucky, this is my first year in college, got me down the street where I was living. He says, now, how many houses are there on the street? Let me guess. What, 250. He said, trust me, there are 225 legitimate no's. Don't spend your time on them. And he says the biggest problem with people is they don't want to tell somebody no. So they come up with an excuse that makes it a maybe. And I have a little poster Mm -hmm. right here on my desk. I said maybe, and that's final. And that's what it is. The maybes will eat you up. So you got maybe, and that's final. Love it. (laughs) And that's that's the way it comes out. I said maybe, and that's final. You're going to get a maybe from me forever. And if you get excited about maybes, you wasted. He said, "Spend your time on the twenty-five legitimate yeses. Get those mm-hmm. things closed." And he says, mm-hmm. "And guess what? When you get through with these two hundred fifty, there's another street, and another street, and another street. It's a big world." Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I've, I've heard you talk about I, that before. I've heard you talk about that before, and it's like worth hearing again and again oh, and again. It, it never ends. It right. never ends. So the test is never. The testing is never over. The testing never over, and the maybes the maybes will stay there forever. Yep. So the 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 deals take the driving force. There's, when when you let things happen, when you let a deal sit. Mm-hmm. It moves from a potential to a maybe to the shit flowing. It goes mm. bad. It never goes good if you if you. So you got to stay on it. And you got to be a terror on it as long as you consider it's a legitimate yes and they ought to buy it. Now, mm. if it's a marginal yes, it's not going to happen. All right, mm. One out of a million all right, will help as a marginal yes. But if the seller believes it really belongs to this person, they ought to be doing it or they ought to buy it or they ought to use it, then you stay on it because and at some point you drop the price a little bit and they'll buy it because it's usually money. It's always money, right? It's too expensive. It costs too much. They haven't seen the worth. You have to prove the worth to them. You can yes. show, you, you can show, you do this and you'll save a thousand dollars a week, and it only costs you a hundred bucks. Buy the damn thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love I love selling. I miss selling door to door. I know. I do too. I, huh? Oh, I, love I do it. too. Especially with someone where you make a convert out of them. You know, uh-huh. that's what Jesus did. He was making converts out of these people. Mm-hmm. You ever watch Elmer Gantry, the movie? Oh, yeah. Long time ago. I love Elmer Gantry. I actually led music <laughs> in revivals. That's how I got selling Bibles door to door, is we'd go in and do revivals up in these little towns in Indiana. And so during the week, I'd sell Bibles during the daytime. And nice. I was not, I didn't have a good voice, but it was loud. 
Y2K yep. was – I made a bunch of money off of Y2K. I was probably yep. one of the few guys in the world that did. Yep. Uh, a little a little company I had had a third-level software because they were taking old software like Mumps, some of these other things I'd never heard of, and converting them into COBOL. And to do that, mm-hmm. they put it into an intermediate language and then made COBOL. So in the process of 1998 and nine, they discovered that that third-party language, they could pick out the two-digit – numbers and convert them to four digit numbers and computer associates at the time jumped on it and said this is going to be our software for the y2k well it turns out the y2k was a bust because it it was not near the problem people thought it was going to be but this stock went from this stock went from two dollars to the equivalent of about 120 oh my gosh and i told and i'd raised money for them twice once as a private placement and once as a small public offering so I knew where every share was. And here come the people in to buy the stock. It was a small public company. And uh, we were just peeling it out. And so I told the president of the company, who's still there, by the way, the stock right now is 17 or 18 cents. I still have 36,000 shares. <laughs> but uh, uh, I said, Sandy, we, i got to get off the board. I said, when we were running this, starting this company, we had a valuation of about 4 or $5 million dollars. There's no lawsuits at four or five million dollars. No lawyer is going to take the damn thing. I said we're now valued at forty-five or fifty million dollars. I don't want to be on this board if we're running the company the same way we did when we were valued at four million dollars. So I said I'm going to resign from the board at the end of the year. I didn't want to make it a thing. So I resigned from the board at the end of the year, and it led me open to selling stock. Sold enough stock to pay for my Watergate apartment. Which I'd hmm. double the money on the next five years, next eight years. And the stock was, it, what a phenomenal story. But it turns out that Y2K was not near the problem that people thought it was going to be. Right. And at the same time, you had the dot com bust. Mm-hmm. And the wild frontier was that people telling me, in fact, one of my good friends who was a PR guy had jumped on it and said, in the internet, there's number one. There's number two, and there's everybody else. <laughs> mm-hmm. You got to be number in whatever whatever niche you're picking. You got to be number one or number two, or nobody's going to give you the time of day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, that was a very that was a very strange time. That's oh, for sure. What an exciting time! And yep. uh, uh, so I was dabbling around in it. I didn't have a big position, but AOL was flying. You know some of these things, and uh, uh, but people would say. This is like the Oklahoma land rush. You got to get in there and stake out your territory. Mm-hmm. And I concluded. I said, you know, it's exactly like the Oklahoma land rush. It says those people. The people went in. They got their. They got their stake. And I said, almost all of them either got shot in the back with an arrow, or they worked themselves to death trying to clear the fields. <laughs> and the only people made money off the Oklahoma land rush was their grandkids. Yeah, for the property where oil was discovered, which had nothing to do with the Oklahoma land rush, and I yes. said the internet's going to be the same way. There'll be a few survivors, but stuff will come out of it that we didn't anticipate. And boy, look mm-hmm. what's come out of it now! It's incredible, isn't it? Oh, it really is. Yep, it is. Uh, uh, Amazon's up again today <laughs> in stock price. Incredible. Oh, I'm not. I'm not surprised when you were talking earlier about. You know, there's nothing that we can't do in technology and stuff. Is one of the problems has been is um, 
you know, supply chain, but Amazon has nailed that one. Amazon supply chain is most incredible awesome. company. I'll tell you something else. You go in a Walmart store, except for the, uh-huh. except for the, uh, for a while for the, the toilet paper and for the, the wipes, the clean Clorox wipes and stuff. The, mm-hmm. the shelves are always full, mm-hmm. except in Myrtle Beach on Monday morning because the tourists would clean them out over the weekend. Right. So you know, what a yep. fabulous company Walmart is. What a fabulous company uh, Amazon is. Incredible. I just ordered something this morning. It'll be delivered tomorrow. I know. So let me tell you a short story. Tuesday, I ordered for the first time from a company in Vista called Rain uh, Raindrop Farms. So they just do vegetables and they ship it locally. So I ordered it, I don't know, 3 o'clock Tuesday afternoon. I got a message Wednesday morning that it was being delivered. But yeah. that message came from a Amazon company. <laughs> so this, so they're using Amazon. And I got another text at, I don't know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon saying um, your, your order will be delivered shortly. Yeah. And sure enough, it did. So yeah. all that stuff happens from the Amazon infrastructure and technology. Well, of course, Amazon is making as much money off their web services as anything. AWS is a that. very, very big deal. Very yeah. big deal. Microsoft, Amazon, all making big – Apple, all making big money off of the cloud. Yep. Another yep. big niche. Yep. But all right, let John, let's, let's – the, the Wild Frontier, one last thing. The big thing coming in education and everything, artificial intelligence. Mm. No one knows where the money is going to be made off of that yet. Yep. It's they're dabbling around the edges. Another big thing coming, which I'm trying to get my head around – and I can't because mm-hmm. I don't have artificial intelligence. I can't deal mm-hmm. with it. But it's going to really be big. It's going to change our lives for the two decades. Yeah. Well, machine learning has, is already doing that yeah. a lot. You know? But uh, AI is just right around the corner. That's, That's enough I mean, for I've seen some. Yep. It is enough. John, thanks very much. Stick, stay on for just a minute, okay? Yeah. And everybody else, you can always get this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and literally anywhere else you catch your podcast. And johnsanders.com. Yes, of course. johnsanders.com, where the articles and the podcasts live.